Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is back. Thanks so much to those who filled in for him last week. Rob Long, Scott Bertram, uh, David Harsani, and of course, Andy McCarthy. And Jim, tan, rested, and ready, I assume, to get back at it. Greg, I, I am. I'm also very busy too. Basically, like half of National Review had to sub in for me. It sounds like it's <laughs> yes, exactly. like an all-star team there. So I feel pretty good. I, you know, no no man can replace me. <laughs> That's right. For long. It's it's a deep bench, which we're very grateful for at National Review. So uh, uh, let's dive right in. The news certainly did not stop while you were gone, and so let's get to uh, the good martini. And once again, the good news is bad news for Joe Biden. And it's we're not just happy that there's bad news for Joe Biden, but Americans are getting it. They understand it. And the latest evidence uh, comes from a CBS News YouGov poll, which in March of last year, so March of 2021, Joe Biden stood at a 62% approval rating. In August, when of course the whole Afghan debacle happened, down to 50%. He's now at his lowest point ever in the CBS News poll at 42%. Other polls have certainly had him lower, some as low as even... uh, 33%, I think, in Quinnipiac, but nonetheless, lowest ever for CBS, 42% approve, 58% disapprove, which is everybody they ask, so they probably pushed people a little bit in both directions. But when you break it down to specific issues, Biden, underwater, big time, not even at 40% on any of the big issues. Crime, disapprove, 61% to 39%. Immigration, 62% to 38%. I'm actually surprised that's not even worse for him. Economy, 63% to 37% disapprove. And inflation, 69% to 31% disapprove. When it comes to lowering gas prices, 65% think Biden could do more to solve the problem. 35% think he's doing all he can. 66% of Americans uh, say that higher prices have been difficult or a hardship. 26% say inconvenient, 8% say no effect. So, uh, Jim, you don't want this many Americans to be suffering this much as uh, the reason that your party has a good chance uh, in the midterm elections, but it's dissatisfaction with the government's response to a lot of different issues. That usually means the party out of power does well, uh, which is pretty common in midterm. So, Republicans, the table is set. You couldn't ask for uh, a worse performance pretty much from this president. And and Jim, the American people seem pretty uh, locked in on what they think of Joe Biden here. That, I think, Greg, is the, is kind of the, the really important thing, because there are probably some listeners who are like, oh, Jim and Greg are in reruns. I feel <laughs> like I've heard this before. And there are probably some other listeners who are thinking, hey, I figured out the formula. When Jim and Greg need a good martini, they just look at the latest poll and find out that Biden's at some all-time low and say, aha, we'll talk about that today. Yes, that's part of it, dear listeners. But another part of it, I think the reason this may feel so familiar to you, you know, the CBS News poll has Joe Biden's approval rating down to 42 percent, is that last month it was 43 percent. And the month before that, February, it was also 43 percent. And the month before that, January, it was 44 percent. And wait, before that, in November, it was also 44%. So what I think what's intriguing is you look at those numbers. In that time, we've had the entire Omicron wave, uh, which really peaked very badly in uh, January after the holidays, although it stretched into February in some cases. Uh, The uh, Supreme Court confirmation of Ketanji Brown-Jackson doesn't seem to have had much of an impact there. 
Um, we've had a really bad spike in uh, gas prices. We've had continued bad inflation numbers. We've had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Some people thought there was going to be a rally around the flag effect for Biden on that. No indication of any of these things. There, there is really no sign that really much of anything has changed in how the country feels about President Biden since November. Whether he has good days, bad days, good news cycles, bad news cycles, I think it's safe to say most people know what they think of Joe Biden. He's certainly not a fresh face. He is very much a known quantity. And most people are pretty sour on him. And uh, barring some dramatic improvement on circumstance and in particularly economic circumstances, this poll also said 76% said the economy should be high priority, 73% inflation, crime 59, Russia, Ukraine 58, and immigration 48. None of those are you know, doing too small. But you can look through that and say, Biden's having significant problems on all of those fronts, but I think most notably economy and inflation. Could things get better on that front between now and November? It's conceivable, but boy, you know, the inflation numbers are looking really bad and there's no indication that, you know, the Fed's going to be able to, you know, presto change fix that between now and November. Um, rate hikes are going to have their own economic uh, challenges to come along with those. Uh, supply chain issues are, are somewhat mitigation of that. You certainly see fewer bare shelves, but now you're going to have the lockdowns in Shanghai disrupting all of that. Um, crime numbers are bad. The people drive more in the summer, so that's probably going to drive up gasoline prices. I mean, you name it, this administration has got really big problems. And what's even worse is that they're often on fronts when they said things are getting better or don't you worry, this is going to give you quick relief on gas prices or no serious economist thinks inflation is going to be bad. So on all of these fronts, Biden just continues to flail. And I think, as you said, this is basically about as good an issue environment as Republicans could possibly hope for heading into a midterm election year. It just also struck me, Jim, and I agree with every everything you just said there, is that Biden has really botched it on issues that matter to everybody. So, you know, he can get Judge Jackson in place. That'll keep the base happy. I mean, 35% roughly are going to support him no matter what he does. Uh, so he helps the base a little bit there. But crime, economy, uh, just general competence when it comes to Afghanistan, regardless of where people fell on the policy, those are issues that cut across uh, party lines. And certainly when you look at independent numbers where he's deeply underwater, I think um, that that's registering as well. And one of the reasons why he can't pop out of this steep drop in his uh, approval rating. Anyway. We'll talk about Joe Biden with uh, another pander to the base a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, let's talk about our first great sponsor of the day, and that is Bambi. Look, you run a small business, but who's running your uh, human resources department? If the answer is I'll figure it out myself or maybe no one, remember that one employee complaint can turn your world upside down as a small business owner. But HR is not just about avoiding risk. As a business leader, you should be doing right by the people you employ. And that's why when you want to cover all your bases when it comes to HR, you need Bambi. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR Autopilot will automate all of your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance available by phone, email, or real-time chat. Now, an in-house HR manager can cost up to $80,000 a year, but with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month with no hidden fees and you can cancel anytime. Bambi has received thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, and their customers are four times less likely to have a claim filed against them. So you run your business and let Bambi run your HR. 
Jim, math was never my best subject, but $80,000 a year compared to basically $100 a month, I think I know which one's going to be more cost effective. Uh, so Bambi is the way to go. It's quality, uh, service, it's a great price, and of course, uh, they will deal with the things that you need to deal with but uh, it's probably not your bread and butter as a business owner and certainly not the reason you opened the business in the first place. So go to Bambi.com slash martini right now for your free HR audit spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash martini Bambi.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And for that, we actually head to the pages of the Atlantic. You know, there was a phrase a long time ago of the kids are all right or the kids are OK. The kids are not okay. They are very much not okay. Uh, according to this uh, long essay by Derek Thompson, quote, the United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel, quote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, according to a new CDC study that's the highest level of teenage sadness ever recovered. Uh, they also broke it down into various groups, and none of these numbers are good, especially when you compare them to uh, where they were back in about 2004. 31.4% of males uh, say they've felt that way persistently. 56.5% of girls. 75.5% uh, of gays. Uh, white, uh, the number is around 44.2%, which is about the overall rate as well. 39.7% uh, for blacks. Now, Derek uh, comes up with a number of reasons for why this is on the rise, in addition, perhaps, to the pandemic exacerbating some of this stuff. But number one, social media. The pressure to fit in, constantly trying to keep up with what everybody else is doing, that that type of pressure. There's the lack of socializing, uh, people spending time on social media or doing other things other than hanging out with friends. They say getting together with friends is way down compared to not that long ago. And because you're online, it all seems to feed from that in, in some ways, uh, you see all the problems other people are having and the things going on in the world. And so teen stress is much higher than before. And they also say parental pressure, putting pressure on their kids to get good grades, get them ready for college, get them ready for that competitive environment for uh, competing against other teenagers in a number of, of different ways. And, and so, Jim... Uh, I think that's certainly some of the reasons for this, but uh, what we're seeing here from the CDC, and I think a lot of people can see it anecdotally with their own kids, is that things are not good for our teenagers right now. And if we don't get a handle on this soon, we're going to have a generation with a really big problem. Greg, as the parent of one teenager and one other son knocking on the door of it, I really sat up and took notice. And this aligns with you know both anecdotal uh, evidence and, and other studies and other uh, arguments. And those of us have argued, you know, it's important to reopen the schools and the pandemic was really bad on teenagers, was really bad on young people. But clearly it was not just the pandemic. The, the pandemic worsened pre-existing uh, problems and situations. It was not that alone. You know, those of us on the right might have this, you know, kind of instinctive, well, you know, they got to toughen up a little, the world is bad and all that stuff. But I think it's something more. This They're not growing up in the same world that we did one of them is the presence of social media and besides the you know usual lectures on cyberbullying and stuff like that greg every now and then you and i will joke and, and other folks of my age of generation x those of us who were teenagers before the advent of social media if we said and did something stupid 
And yes, we did and said plenty of stupid things <laughs> sure. in our teenage years. They were not preserved for all hist- for history to be, you know, used against us later. We were not getting canceled. We were not necessarily getting, you know, getting uh, uh, thrown out of school or in trouble or ostracized by peers. The only thing we had to worry about were bullies punching us in the face. And as bad, you know, yeah, that was bad. Nobody's going to say that any generation ever had it easy, but this generation has different challenges. And I do kind of wonder if there are two other factors that are kind of adding to this. The first is um, it's weird. You feel like there are some kids whose parents are in some cases not in the picture. Uh, they're, they're, you know, disengaged. The kids are neglected. The kids don't have that loving support network that they need. Um, they don't have that sense of a combination of loving and caring and acceptance and compassion. And also on the other side, discipline and somebody who's going to straighten them out and somebody who's going to tell them, yes, you can do this. And no, you cannot do that. And someone who's willing to put their foot down and stop teenagers from their own worst instincts. And if it sounds like that's been on my mind lately, uh, you, <laughs> you may be guessing correctly. The other thing is, I don't know if you and I were blessed to be, you know, going, entering our, our young adulthood at, towards the end of the Cold War, the 1990s, this general sense of optimism about the future. There were plenty of problems. We were being told about, you know, what was, it wasn't yet climate change. It was global warming and uh, and all kinds of terrible things were going to happen. And the Y2K bug and and, the world always has problems, but it really does feel like the the, uh, news media's drumbeat of constant, not just negative news, not just, but also a constant message that you are in danger. Um, everything from not just, you know, COVID-19, which was a, you know, rather glaring issue for the whole wide world, but everything from environmental degradation to uh, microaggressions to, you know, sometimes these are, are rather ludicrous ones, but there is, you know, or real issues like an increase in crime, uh, a question about economic stability. Are you going to be able to find a career? And, and you know, there's all as I living in the, the area that I am. Uh, I have no doubt that there are a lot of high achieving parents who put a lot of pressure on their kids because they want their kids to succeed. They remember their own struggles. They know that very few things are given to you in this life and you have to earn them. And that life, many of us remember entering, quote unquote, the real world and getting slapped in the face by how difficult it can be. Um, all of this adds up to a, a jumble of, of conflicting messages and, and the sense of, are we preparing our kids for the world that they are going to inherit and the world that they're going to enter? Um, I'd I'd like to blame it all on social media, but I don't think that's the only issue. I'd like to blame it on neglectful parents, but I don't think that's the issue. I'd like to, all of these are small factors and I have no doubt the, the pandemic exacerbated all of this, but there's something more to it. I think there is something sick in our culture and, you know, God, was it was it Marianne Williamson who you talked about the the you know problems in our souls and all that kind of stuff? I don't necessarily want the president of the United States addressing these sorts of issues, but I do want national issues talking about: Are we teaching our kids character? Are we teaching our kids resilience? Are we teaching our kids an ability to not just tell right from wrong, but to figure out how to take adversity and use it as fuel to get going through those tough times? So there's an enormous amount to do. Um, we parents will try to do our part here and there, but I do a lot of times where you feel like you're swimming upstream in a culture that's absolutely determined to teach your teens all the wrong messages. Jim, I think you make several very good points there, and I'm going to add one more, and it's been going on for a couple of generations now, and I think it's the increasing secularization of this country, and I think it's having a negative effect on us in so many different ways, on our discourse and how we're dealing with each other on a variety of issues and so on and so forth. But when it comes to something this fundamental, the desire to live or not live, I think it really is resonating uh, right now because 
Hopelessness comes when you think you don't have a reason to go on or you're so consumed by not achieving something that you really had your heart set on achieving, whether that's a certain career or a certain college that you wanted to get into, a certain relationship that you pursued that the other person did not reciprocate. Could be a health issue, could be dealing with a death in the family. Whatever it is, there are disappointments in life. And unless you have uh, that grounding in faith, I think it makes it a lot harder to cope and deal with those things, particularly if they start to pile up. But when you have a deep faith, and in my case, a, a Christian faith, things still go bad, things still go wrong, and they still pile up. But when you have that eternal perspective, you know that no matter what's happening here, that God is bigger than all of those uh, disappointments and other challenges that have really got you down. And without that hope, I think that uh, you're seeing why we have so much hopelessness now. And I fear it might not even just be limited to people of that age. Greg, I think that's a very astute observation. I, I can tell pro- there's probably a small minority of our listenership who, I don't know, they, they, you talk about organized religion, they may roll their eyes or something like that. But let's just think, you know, look, does, does organized, has organized religion made some glaring mistakes in the past? Absolutely, no doubt. But the general message is you have your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. There is a God who loves you and wants you to do things with your life. You're, you're, you are not a waste. You are not uh, some accident of the universe that, you know, has no purpose and has no meaning and no one would miss you if you're gone. You know, it's a, there's a, the, everything, even if you don't love every detail of what organized religion offers in, in, in all of its various forms, by and large, it gives people a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment and a sense of connection to a greater and larger community that a lot of people find absolutely vital to getting through this life. So this moment of spiritual guidance is brought to you by Jim and Greg. Yes, absolutely. And by my pillow, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yes, my pillow, of course. And right now we're pitching uh, their fantastic deal on the my pillow six piece towel set. Nothing f- beats the feel of a luxurious towel when you step outside of the shower. They're big, they're soft, they're fluffy, and they do their job. They get you dry super quickly and they stay nice and fluffy and soft wash after wash. And so right now, the great deal from my pillow, the six piece towel set regularly. $109.99, now only $39.99%. You know, Greg, as listeners probably guessed, last week I was down visiting my family in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and my dad at one point turned to me and said, say, where is the cotton used in the MyPillow towels grown? <laughs> and he happened to hear, because he listens to this podcast every day, yes, this MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well, or maybe they absorb well, but they don't feel right on your skin. They have that lotiony feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99. Do it today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 mypillow.com slash martini 
All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And as we foreshadowed in the in the good martini, Joe Biden once again uh, digging into the tired old bag of Democratic tricks to try and fire up the base. And uh, I think it's probably going to fire up the Republican base more than his. But, hey, what do we know? Daily Caller, President Joe Biden is set to unveil his administration's finalized version of its ghost gun regulation as early as Monday, the Associated Press reports. The incoming regulation is expected to crack down on unserialized, private-made firearms, according to the AP. Quote, I want to rein in the proliferation of so-called ghost guns. These are guns that are homemade, built from a kit that include the directions on how to finish the firearm. You can go buy the kit. They have no serial numbers, so when they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced. Biden said in April 2021. In the proposal released in May of last year, the uh, ATF also sought to require manufacturers and dealers distributing the ghost gun parts to be federally licensed, as well as for licensed firearm dealers to add serial numbers to all unserialized guns they plan on selling. He's also going to nominate uh, this guy named Steve Dettelbach, an Obama-era U.S. attorney as the director of the ATF, since his previous nominee, David Chipman, went down in flames. And so, uh, Jim, uh, this is going to be... Uh, one more issue where the Second Amendment is front and center. And uh, when it comes to the Second Amendment, uh, this, as I said, will probably fire up the right more than the left. But uh, you've probably dug, dug into ghost guns a little more than I have. Well, I was going to say New York State's ghost gun law just got struck down. So I, I haven't seen the specific wording of the ghost gun law that the Biden administration wants to unveil. But I can't imagine that it's not going to face very similar constitutional questions as the New York law saw. The other kind of fascinating aspect of this is the timing of it. It is April. Late next month, I'm supposed to go to the National Rifle Association's annual meeting. It's the first one they've had. This will be the first one in, I guess, three years since they canceled in 2020 and then canceled late in, right before the meeting in 2021. As you may recall, the National Rifle Association has had all kinds of problems over the last couple of years about spending money and how the money's being used and stuff like that. Membership has been dropping. But one of the issues the Biden administration had going for it was that it didn't have a giant gun controversy going on. Um, there have been a few shootings, but certainly nothing on par with Columbine or those ones that are Las Vegas, the ones that really stick out in our memory. And I kind of was wondering, OK, is this going to be kind of a quiet convention? Is this going to be one where the NRA is just not going to be as active as it usually is in a midterm election year, even with a Democratic president, because the Biden administration wasn't picking this fight with this interest group and these groups of voters, second, gun owners, Second Amendment advocates, the way a Democratic administration usually does, like with Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Up until recently, they had not. And now that changes. And it's almost as if that really bad political environment that we were talking about in the first martini, the Biden administration has said, oh, what else we got? Yeah, let's see if we can rile up conservative voters this way, because now I know there's going to be a whole lot of talk at this upcoming convention. And the NRA is probably going to be very active in a whole bunch of key races. And they have the wind at their back as, you know, pro-gun Democrats are really, you know, few and far between these days. So my guess is you will see this energizing the gun owners across the country, Second Amendment advocates and groups like that. The National Rifle Association, which has a whole bunch of self-inflicted wounds. In some ways, this is exactly what they want. They want another Democratic president coming to get your guns, coming to ban things. And also, I kind of note, this is a, a very, a, a maneuver that almost never works for Democrats. They really find them, they find themselves in trouble on crime. And because of a variety of issues of not being wanting to be tough on crime and, and previously supporting criminal justice reform and stuff like that, they substitute a tough on guns approach for a tough on crime, except 
almost everyone can see you know who doesn't follow gun laws criminals that's what makes them criminals and, and it's this little it's an attempted jujitsu that almost never works for the democrats and yet they're going to try it again exactly the kind of stale tired thinking you'd expect from a man like joe biden <laughs> yes exactly and where are some of the biggest crime spikes in the states and cities with the most stringent gun control laws. And so uh, it's just uh, never-ending talking points with the left on this. Uh, Jim, it says the incoming regulation. So I, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's they're planning a legislative push on this, but uh, if it's a regulation, I'm guessing it could potentially be challenged pretty severely in court. It would, but hey, look, you know, look, you're going to have Mark Kelly vote on this. You're going to have, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we don't want vulnerable Democrats to, in the Senate and House to vote on this legislation. No, no, no. We'll just do it through a regulation and then watch it get tied up in court. Yeah. Mark Kelly just discovered the border, so he's going to be fun to watch yeah. over these next few months. Who knows what he'll learn? <laughs> Closer we get to election day, he's going to sound less and less like Biden. Anyway, Jim, glad to have you back. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Commissioner Mark Morgan tells me how Biden's open border policies have cartels ravaging our border and the rest of the country with no consequences. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Morgan also explains a staggering number of people crossing our border who did not get caught, including many criminals. Don't miss this. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.